0: Hi, I'm Len Epp from Pub, and in this episode of the Front Matter podcast, I'll be interviewing Nicola Lindgren. Based in MAMA, Nicola is a senior quality assessment engineer and manager, as well as an international conference speaker and blogger with a focus on subjects like software testing, leadership, and agile. You can follow her on Twitter at Nicola Lindgren, and check out her website at NicolaLindgren.com. Nicola is the author of the Pub book, Starting Your Software Testing Career. In the book, Nicola provides readers with a guide to finding their first role as a software tester and practical suggestions for how you can hit the ground running in your new career after you've been hired. In this interview, we're going to talk about Nicola's background and career, professional interests, her book, and at the end, we'll talk a little bit about her experience writing and self-publishing. So thank you very much, Nicola, for being on the Front Matter podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I always like to start these interviews by asking people for their origin story. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about where you grew up and how you found your way into a career in software testing.
1: All righty. I am from Auckland, New Zealand. I, I think... Um, New Zealanders know this, but I'm a a Jaffa, just another fucking Aucklander. Um, In terms of how I got into testing, uh, it wasn't actually the plan. My plan was to become a diplomat, but the year that I had graduated, they laid off uh, like 20% of their staff. For some reason, they weren't hiring, so they were laying off 20% of the staff. Um, So then I had to figure out, okay, what next? There was a test consultancy in New Zealand that had a grad program, so I did it. Um, yeah, I guess I don't know. I, to be honest, I didn't know about other roles than IT, except for developer. And I think in the in the job ad or something, they're like, "Are you curious? Are you interested in technology? Some sort of stuff like that." And I could relate to what they were saying. Uh, so here I am. Um, I don't know. Almost ten years later uh moved to Sweden for work and yeah.
0: Yeah, no, thanks very much for sharing that. That's interesting going from my career and potentially, you know, di- you know, diplomacy to um uh sort of software testing is a really interesting move. Um and uh if, if you don't mind, um how did you find your way to to Sweden? Um did you get hired before you moved or did you did you move there and then yes. get a job? Okay.
1: Yes. I um I met my company at a conference. Um, so yeah, it was. It felt felt right. Um, actually, the funny thing is, I initially applied for my my previous company. Um, I initially applied for uh, one of their roles in Switzerland because I speak German. Um, but the managing director of the Swiss branch said, since you're not a EU citizen, that's not really a viable option for you. How about Sweden? Uh, so it's weird because people are like, oh, you must love Sweden, you know? Like, I'm on um, subreddit. Uh, like like Kilisfadia or to Sweden and people are like, Oh we love Sweden so much. Um and and it kind of just happened. I also happened to meet a guy um around the same time when I was moving here. So it was I was very fortunate to get a work permit and have that sort of security. Uh, but at the same time um someone wanted to explain uh, aspects of Swedish bureaucracy to me. Well,
0: oh, that's that's really interesting. So, um, uh, you know, I, I've moved around a bit and a lot of the people who we have on the on the podcast have moved around a bit. And so you're saying that being from New Zealand, it was actually easier for you to move to Sweden than to an EU country.
1: Um, well, uh, I'm, not, I'm not 100% sure if um, Switzerland's the EU. I think they might be in like the European economic area or just sort of terms, they're still in the Schengen area. Um, I, it's just, uh, I guess different countries have different, um, requirements around, um, work permits. So I don't necessarily think it was because I was a New Zealander. I think it was just pretty, um, tough for a non-EU citizen to get to Switzerland, or at least that was my impression.
0: And, uh, how was your first winter? <laughs> um,
1: to be honest, the cold's not so bad because you can always wear more clothes, right? Like, you know,
0: um.
1: <laughs> more and more layers it's the short days um I remember I was working from home uh, a little bit for my first project and at like three o'clock be pitch black it was because we're in Stockholm by the way for the first year so the days are shorter there in winter compared to Malmö um, and I remember like I, I I never really like checked the time I would start to like tack down my laptop and think oh the day's over and then I like check the clock my it's oh, only like three o'clock I probably should still work I haven't done my hours uh so that was probably the most shocking thing and then just walking on snow um like they do put salt I mean they, they do put salt uh in the ground but I I'm not from a city that has snow so I'd be often late because I just walk so slow I'm very clumsy um so that was uh you know first of all problems that was that was tough for me
0: yeah, it's, uh, thanks. Thanks very much for sharing that. I partly ask um, because I come from a place called um, Saskatchewan in Canada, um, where it's very cold in winter. Um, and the days are quite short, but nothing like nothing like up in Stockholm, which is a few degrees latitude, even north of that. Mm. Um, and yeah, it is it is interesting. I mean, the um, people do often, you know, of course, the sort of natural things to think about the cold, but the short days really do, really do get to you. Particularly, I, I just remember, you know, it being sort of like pitch black until like, you know, 10 in the morning or something like that. And, uh, and that's just really kind of like messes with your sort of natural expectations. Even, I mean, I, like I, I say that as someone who grew up in that environment, it still seems, still seems strange sometimes. Um,
1: a vitamin P, oh, sorry, a vitamin D pills also thing where you live, because it's a thing here, but I never really got into
0: that. Yeah, no, they, they weren't, they weren't, I mean, you know, people's, people's attitude towards the cold, at least where I grew up at the time I grew up was very reckless, you know, it was kind of like... Uh-huh. People wouldn't even wear toques Sometimes it's just kind of rush out to the car and rush rush into whatever hmm. building you're going to. Um, I think it's a lot different now. And so, uh, you so that's so interesting. So you got you you got some training in software testing, and then you got your first job when you were still still in New Zealand. Um, uh, what was your first job like? What what did you what did you do? Did you get like a long list of like test this, test that, test this, <laughs> test that, and sit yeah. in the cubicle? Yeah, or? yeah. Um,
1: yeah, my first job was at a consultancy for a government project. Um, and the thing is when you're a junior is you don't really, um, I don't really have much say um, as to how things would go. I kind of just listened and, and did what I was told. Um, and to be honest, I didn't really have the confidence back then to question things. Um, so it was a matter of writing uh, test cases in a spreadsheet and then uploading it to the test, test management tool And then um, a business analyst or someone from the business would change their mind about a bunch of stuff and you have to update a bunch of shit. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, I don't don't really miss that environment but like I am grateful for the opportunity. I mean, I think a lot of people when they want to like switch careers, um, it can be hard to do. So I'm grateful for that. Um, And I made some good friends on the project, so. No, that's the uh,
0: silver lining in that cloud. Yeah it's, um, it's actually it's it's sort of funny when you're so familiar with these kinds of things it's kind of hard to know where to start talking about them from the perspective of someone who's unfamiliar with it and I've already kind of j- jumped over that um so maybe just taking a step back if you could uh, if you could talk a little bit i know at the beginning of your book you actually have uh, you provide a definition from someone about what software testing is but if you could just talk a little bit about what software testing is and maybe why why it's actually so it's so important
1: all right uh Put simply, I don't think that this is uh, necessarily the definition uh, verbatim in my book. Uh, software testing is getting information and then communicating that information about the software under test. Was well, there a part two to the question? I'm sorry, I forgot the part oh, two. Oh, no, yeah, no,
0: that's, that's okay. That's okay. I put two things in one question. And then the second thing is like, why, why, is, why is it actually, like it's, it sounds sort of, when you when one sort of defines it or describes it, it can sound very kind of simple, but like it's incredibly important. Software testing, and I was wondering if you could talk yeah, a little bit about why it's why it's so important.
1: The weird the weird thing, and I go over this in the book a bit, is that something like the purpose of software testing um, is is different to different people, and this often depends on the project. Um, so that's, I just shared with you my definition or my understanding, and that's largely based on my experiences and. Um, more senior people that I've worked with whose uh, opinions I respect and another very common definition of software testing is to find bugs Um, but like if you don't find any bugs then would you say you have not achieved your goal Um, and it's weird because you you may some people may think oh how can you not find bugs but I've worked with some very good developers right Um, I remember some people are like oh we should test against the requirements and then limit it to that or some sort of written documentation uh, for example uh, user stories as well but then uh, did you know that developers can also read so why would they uh, code uh, bugs into it when they can obviously read that uh, this is what um, this field should do uh, this is um, what the permissions of this user should be uh, so it's um, not really enough um, I like to use analogy uh, when it comes to software testing, and that is uh, interviews. Um, so, with software testing, you know, you're trying to uncover information um, about the software to test, and then your hope is to get some sort of depiction of reality. Or you, you hope to. You don't want some sort of like surprise motherfucker when you when you go live. With interviews, I, I think companies and and the candidates are trying to do the same thing. They're trying to suss each other out. Uh, so based on the questions that the interview asks, and then the questions that the candidate asks at the end or throughout, then they're trying to picture um, what it may like to be worked, what it may be like to work there, or um, the candidate is, or the the company is trying to figure out, okay, uh, is this uh, is this company trying to pull one over me? You know, like. Um, people aren't always honest at interviews unfortunately so um if you ask the questions and you listen to the answers and then based on the answers you then ask another false question and then as time passes your mental model or your understanding of what the other side is is changing so i like I, i quite like analogies and that's probably one of my favorite ones
0: I've got to say, I'm a big fan of analogies and uh, I've interviewed a few myself and I've interviewed a few um, people in software testing for this podcast. And that's the first time I've heard the interview analogy. Um, I've yeah. heard martial arts. I've heard um, crime scene investigation um, and oh, things yeah. like okay. that. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, the interview that is really fascinating because it's the it's it's so two way, uh, mm. which is a, a which is really um, compelling. Right. Because um, I think. uh you, know, you mentioned you mentioned you know sort of like for some companies software testing is finding bugs right and this is you know this is the idea that um you know for people who aren't familiar with the way these kinds of things work it's like if if you've got a, a product let's say it's an app or something like that that's supposed to do something that people are supposed to sign up for and you know download to their phone or something like that. You sometimes have companies that are just like you know really bottom straightforwardly bottom line focused I might I might say and so you know they kind of like have have some computer people who do the computer stuff. And then they've they've made their, their product and then they just want someone to test it to make sure nothing breaks. Um, and that that's that's you know one one form of software testing is just make sure make sure it works. Um, and then but there, there are other, you know, but the, the more in that you know, when you're if you're dealing with say a very simple app, you know, that actually might even be all you kind of really need to do to some extent. But when you start getting like into way more sophisticated uh, products or services and things like that, there's much more of a kind of, you know, where there's, there's no kind of idea that anything really being finished, um, the idea of it being a back and forth between the tester and the product or the tester and the developers and something like that, much like an interview is really interesting. And I really like that you brought up. People aren't always honest, um, unfortunately, unfortunately, but I mean, you know, in, in the, in the context, I'm talking too much, but in the context of software testing, And in in so many other things that we do, you know, we kind of like, kind of hope we, we know we might have used a shortcut over here in what we did, and we might not necessarily be all that forthcoming.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, And I think whether or not you said how you might always be that forthcoming. I mean, that would also depend. I mean, if you're talking from the perspective of a developer, um, that also depends on the relationship between the tester and the developer, um, and then how safe people feel to admit their mistakes. I mean, if uh, you feel safe to be like, oh, I fucked up, um, then chances are people do going to be forthcoming. Um, but if you've seen other people uh, get blamed and um, called out in public, I have worked in environments earlier on in my career uh, where people were shouting, not at me, thankfully. Um, and uh, um, it was... Uh, I, I couldn't imagine why people wouldn't be so forthcoming in such in such context.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting how... Um... You know, people think that uh, often people think that, you know, when you're dealing with kind of technical stuff, people, people are themselves kind of become technical, <laughs> uh, but they mm-hmm. remain, they usually remain people Um, and their emotions can get involved. Their pride can get involved, their fear for their job or their frustrated ambitions can get involved. And sometimes people really do blame other people for their mistakes.
1: Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I, I've seen that happen as well. So,
0: yeah. uh, I've got um, it's it's interesting too. So because they're so, uh, from what I gather, you know, there can the, the, the role of the software tester, as you've already mentioned, you know, differs from can differ from project to project or company to company. And sometimes you can actually find yourself in the situation where you're the only tester in on the project, or maybe even at the at the at the company if it's small. Uh, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, what to do if you find yourself in that situation where, let's say, it's like ten developers and and just you as the tester
1: um firstly if this is like someone's first role or one of their first roles if they're a junior I would highly recommend them to get involved in the testing community you know, go to meetups, conferences if they can get budget approval the reason for this is that they're not being exposed to other ideas <laughs> so their understanding of how testing is done could be limited to that project um If someone is further along in their career, I would still urge them to do that. But then at that point, if they've been on other projects or other companies, they would presumably already have an understanding of how testing can also be done. Um, So then I think it's good to network, to bounce ideas, to just get some sort of inspiration. You can also, like I have been on projects where the, the developers would like help me test or bounce ideas. Um, so the disadvantage of not having test testers to, to speak to, uh, in terms of uh, what do you think and like, um, of, of this of this uh, approach, um, developers I find are often also happy to um, to listen and then to make suggestions. So you may ask, um, uh, um, "What is anything in particular I should focus on? Um, like, what do you, do you have any concerns?" Um, and it's not that you will only focus on what what they said, but you but then make sure to not forget the areas that they uh, suggested you focus on.
0: And as a software tester, so um, do you? Is it is it typical for the tester to actually see the code, or to ask yeah. a very basic question, or do you often just see the kind of like user interface that someone's going to be interacting with and just kind of break it?
1: Uh, <laughs> Sorry I for the, such a
0: crude question, but
1: no, I honestly um, I couldn't. I have no idea in terms of what's typical, like like percentage If it's like over 50%. Um, I have worked with testers who get quite into the code. So they'll look at the pull request and see what the changes were, what files were changed. Um, I've also worked with testers who only look at the UI and don't even look at like the Chrome Dev tool. Um, personally, I think is an advantage of being able to recode and understand what it does. So I would urge people to start looking there and ask for access. In uh, some projects when I didn't initially get access, uh, when I finally gained the confidence, I would ask, um, can I have a look at the repos? It'd be nice to see um, like the pull requests for these changes that you like to test so I can have um, a better understanding of what you actually did. To, um, to make this
0: happen. Speaking of getting involved in the community, as you, as you uh, recommended for people who are getting into testing, if they're looking to get into their first role or they're already in their first role, um, you've, you've uh, founded a couple of meetups yourself, I think one in New Zealand and one in, one in Sweden. In your experience, what, when someone sort of arrives for the first time at their first meetup, you know, what's, the, what's the question people, is, is there a question that people typically sort of ask first that um, often comes up? Like quite
1: common to ask about roles. Um, a lot of people do go to meetups with the intention of networking and landing a role. Um, and then, I mean, people can be quite shy, especially when you are going to meet up and you're not going with your colleagues. Uh, so they may just like well, small talk, and you know, I try to, I would try to introduce people to each other because um, I, um, I understand it could be uh, intimidating um, approaching someone, but if um, someone who's an organizer who, I don't know how you describe it, like, I I would say it's part of the role to, like, make people feel comfortable and get the most out of it. Um, Sometimes people would ask to give talks. So they'd say, oh, um, I've got this topic in mind. Um, Are you looking to have a meetup, um, you know, in the next few months? Uh, and I've talked about security testing or exploratory testing or uh, mobile test automation um, and then you have a conversation about that.
0: And is it, um, do, do talks at meetups, I mean do, there, do they often take the form of kind of case studies where people sort of tell a story about a really tricky bug that they discovered or
1: uh, Often I would say people tend to go for stories um, I, there are probably meetups uh, where they do focus on case studies um, but the uh, one that I co-founded in Auckland, as well as the one I founded in Stockholm. The format is like a specific term, but it's like this thing where you share an experience report. So for 20 minutes, um, you 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 talk about like um, what you've learned or how you approach a certain problem at work, uh, and then you have something called Open Season, where people would it's um, facilitated discussion. So people would ask the uh, speaker questions and then people would ask um each other questions and then it's a facilitator's role to like make sure people don't dominate so you hold up color cards as to whether or not you would like to add to the current thread of discussion or whether or not you'd like to start a new topic or if you feel like you're going around in circles it's a different color card that you hold up and if enough people do that you're like let's just move on um so that's, um, that's quite good. And I think a really good thing about Experience Report is that it encourages people who don't think that they're experts to share their ideas or knowledge. Because um, they're not like, oh, I know, like, I know so much. They're just saying, this is what I learned. This is how I've done this, right? And if you phrase things like that, like, what? Well, like, this someone gonna attack you? No, they'll um, say, oh, what do you think? Of, have you ever thought about this, uh, of this tool? or, um, you know, it, it, that, and I just wanna say that people like hearing stories, so, so even, um, I really enjoy just hearing how other people do things, uh, whether or not I would have the opportunity to apply what they talked about as uh, another question. But it's really cool hearing how people approach or tackle different problems.
0: Yeah it's uh it's yeah thanks very much for sharing that it's so it's so interesting the um the the challenge of software testing is so um it's so it's so unique i guess i would say it's um i i just thinking of a, speaking of specific stories um at you know i i'm sort of i've done some ad um, nothing more really than sort of ad hoc testing for lean pub and uh, but uh i i find it sort of an interesting challenge for example one time when i was doing some internationalization i had this problem with norway and it was because the country code no actually was a command in rails uh no Uh, (laughs) and it took a while to figure out like you know it's just so weird it's like everything's right in the code but nothing's working what's going on and then there was something i had to figure out about basically the the language or the setup to sort of like you know figure out what was going on those kind of the categories of what strings of characters mean um, can become kind of a, a part of a part of what you're looking into do you have any sort of any sort of one or two stories that come to mind for kind of really interesting bugs that you uh, found. found? I,
1: um, I don't know about, uh, embarrassing is probably the best. Uh, <laughs> in my first project, I have, there's actually two stories. Um, firstly, on my first project, I went to test on the Explorer. Um, I didn't really know about Chrome DevTools, but uh, even, I mean, you can't use Chrome DevTools in the next explorer anyway. Um, so we would create profiles. Uh, so you'd uh, fill out the form um, choose like the type of profile you're creating and you click submit and a confirmation screen would appear. Um, and the weird thing is, um, sometimes um, the profiles would be created, sometimes not. Uh, back then I didn't know how to look at the network request or look behind the scenes to make sure that the UI is telling the truth. The This idea, and this is why I think we should recode or at least be able to look behind the scenes. Um, I, I trusted the UI, I, I thought that the UI is, is uh, truthful. I remember I, I was following test cases, but you're not necessarily, or in, in that environment, you weren't necessarily writing um, every single detail of every single field that you filled in. So I remember thinking like, what, like, did I did I just imagine creating that profile? Like I've done that sort of thing at home, intend to do something and not do it. Uh, but it turns out there was actually an issue. Uh, the second um, uh, story would be, I was doing an inventory count feature. So I was the only tester in the team. Um, I got, uh, I did peer testing. I got my approach reviewed about what I planned to cover, um, but um, we couldn't cope with the number of products. Uh, so I think I tested up to like a hundred or something like that. But then retailers would have thousands upon thousands of SKUs, uh, so it would just crash. And this was just before stock take season. So we had to stay up late. Um, so the, the good thing I just want to say, about making mistakes is that you remember those lessons. Like, I don't remember, like, I mean, I, I do remember a few, but like, you, you're not really gonna remember all the things you did well on different projects, right? Like, it's just like a one day that sounds um, But when you fucked up, or you're gonna like make sure that that sort of mistake or something similar that triggers that sort of ideas, those sorts of things don't happen again.
0: This is a very specific question about your career, but have you done video game testing? I think I saw a reference to that somewhere, maybe in yeah. LinkedIn profile.
1: Yeah. Um yes. Um I was on a project for like three, four months. Um I actually don't know if I'm allowed to say which project but it's done. We don't know are doing it. I'm gonna earn the SATA of caution. Uh yes. Um so I uh, there was a QA already in the project and I was there to support um and like helped like uh mentor them and have them bounce ideas off me and then set up test automation. So this was a game built in Unity. Um, I hadn't worked with video games before and I didn't quite realize that they were a bitch to test. Um, because you can't really detect like normally you can really detect elements on screen. So you can't like tap on buttons or whatever, um, which I normally at least for UI testing which I would normally be able to do in other contexts. Um but there's a a, a test framework or a tool called an alt tester. So when I discovered that I just had to set it up um and uh and cover the regression that way
0: yeah it's really interesting um I think uh I think i I remember speaking to someone once you know saying oh mountain, that must be so exciting doing uh video game testing and he's like, man, my latest one was a racing game, and my job was just to turn the wheel to the right and scrape up scrape up against the wall for like three hours straight to see if it broke it you know Boy. um but the, i guess I guess one of the reasons i like to I like to think about video game testing is that you know you can see these kind of it's really visual examples of it like with um I don't know if you know about speed runs and stuff like that in video games. So So
1: um, people just try to finish a whole game from start to end and they're just trying to go super fast.
0: Yeah, it's trying to do it super fast. But I mean, you know, there's there's the kind of like playing it by the rules, but not it doesn't take too long before people try and figure out how to break how to break the game um, to get things done faster. Um, And so if you if you go to there's I forget what the actual URL is or the web address is, but like, you know, there's speed run is this website, and if you look, look up sort of speedrun run for um, Zelda Breath of the Wild, for example, the latest, like they, they found a way to kind of like, people who were doing it sort of thought about how must the physics be working about when I pull out my shield and try and surf on it on the hill. And they figured out that like, if you try and like, I don't know, it's something like, if you try to like shoot your arrow while you're trying to surf on the shield at just the right moment, you can jump way up into the sky. Uh, because it tricks the the game mechanic into thinking that it needs to, you know, move you this far or something like that. Instead of down the hill, it's up in the sky, something like that. The latest version, a guy can use a kind of branch, get a hold of a branch and fly with it. And I, I, again, the reason I bring that up is because if you think people are like spending all day long trying to break video games, they're just think about payment systems and banks <laughs> and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I mean, it's,
1: they're trying to exploit it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's, and it's, it won't, it won't be visual in the same way. And like, you know, using a joystick or something like that, but people are, people are always trying to break things like that. Have you ever worked on, on projects like that, like with banks or insurance systems or anything mm-hmm. like that? i
1: worked that? Uh, with payments. So um, the customer of the client were, were banks. So the, um, <laughs> they handled, EFTPOS, is, like, is that a term that you're familiar with? I'm not sure if it's a New Zealand thing or not. What's the it's term? EFTPOS.
0: How do you spell that?
1: Um, E-F-T-P-O-S. So it's like kind of a yeah, no, hard transaction. Or debit card transactions. Okay. okay. Transactions. okay. Um, so they handled like 75% of these type of re- uh, transactions. And uh, New Zealand is pretty uh, digital. So they were doing an upgrade because the current system was no longer going to be supported Um, and they would work. I mean, I found that this is like normal. They have very old systems or at least they did back in like 2013. Um, So it's like you have this blue screen and you just like only use your keyboard and like type shit to test it. I I barely can remember. And then we were told the importance of it because, you know, when it comes to money, um, if people can find ways to uh, point it they they will try they definitely
0: will try yeah i'm just looking it up here I'm, i'll put a link to i'll put a link to the uh f post payment processing system in the in the transcript for this for this interview but i guess i guess it is something that i should have heard about before but yeah that's that's <sighs> so that's so yeah, I, I get
1: mixed up sorry no that's
0: okay um it's it is it is interesting how but just how serious how serious it can be um that when you're when you're testing you're you're kind of like trying to figure out what the bad the bad guys are going to try and do yourself you're not just looking for bugs but looking for ways to exploit
1: yeah
0: yeah um uh just moving on to uh the book specifically uh starting your software testing career uh what was the inspiration for this book when what moment did you find yourself thinking oh i'm gonna i'm gonna write a book
1: um last november so november 2020 i think i come across some um developers where they say you know how to become a developer, and it's a few of those, right? There's actually a decent number of those. And I was like, oh, um, none exists for testing. So I started writing the book on Google Docs on my phone. because um, I thought to myself, like, I wasn't like committed to reading a book, I mean, writing a book. <laughs> I was thinking to myself, um, this might be a series of blog posts. <clears throat> um, and I wanted to have this like one-stop shop for people who are starting their career and how to go about um, finding a role, um, you know, uh, like how you can do testing, Um, good things to keep in mind, uh, different contexts. I remember also making sure that I wanted to interview other people because I know for a fact I, I don't know everything about what I wanted to talk about. There were certain areas That I thought would be beneficial for the reader. So, for example, I've got a story on um, someone being a sponsor. Um, I have been sponsored, but I don't think I have sponsored someone. Um, Also, uh, recruiting. I have some experience reviewing CVs and interviewing candidates, but I know people who have a lot more experience than me. So i'd approach them and ask um what do you think i also interviewed developers so you know and uh product analysts for business analysts so they can get that perspective um so i tried to like i mean it's more a research project than anything um when i had the outline written and i was like okay this is going to be a book i thought okay let's do it on lean i don't i wasn't gonna I didn't announce it straight away. because I still wasn't sure that it would go live. I mean, I could have just <laughs> written the book in lean Pub and then uh, copy pasted it and made it some blog posts. Um, but I thought, I think it'd be nice to just have one hopefully useful resource for people either starting out their careers or early on. Um, I feel also that it is beneficial for people who are a bit more senior. So like intermediate, but That's not really my target audience. When I was writing the book, my thoughts were, what will benefit people new in testing? What will benefit people new in testing? Uh, And then it's just like a side effect if it happens to benefit others. Just thought it's easier to give my book focus, or at least for me, than try and make everyone happy.
0: Yes, it's really interesting i mean the the um that's that's a very good point that there are you know tons of books out there for like you know get started in your career as a as a developer you know a software developer mm-hmm. software engineer a programmer and stuff like that but uh yeah for software testing there just isn't the same the same kind of volume uh, of uh, of guides out there um and it and of course you know for a lot of people you know when you're just you know there's there's when you've when you've sort of made it to some extent in a career and you're a few years in or a decade in or something like that i mean one of the things you often I think everybody thinks about as Matt. I really wish I'd known A, B, and C when I was starting out. Um, and so when people take the time, you know, away from their work to kind of like actually communicate that to people, it can be like it can be kind of life changing for people, right? Like you know, to kind of like this if oh, oh you know to actually know that from the beginning. Um, if is there like one or two things that you can think about that sort of really come to the Copy your mind when you think about, oh, I really wish I'd known this when I was maybe not your first job, but you know, when I was in my first mm-hmm. year or or something like that.
1: Um I think like knowing your self-worth. Uh so I think a mentor is good for that. They have a broader perspective of what like the testing industry is like. If you are your first project during your first year, I mean you, don't, you might not realize what you have to offer. So I think having someone who can, I mean, at least for me, when I had a mentor from about nine months after I started or a year, um, maybe two, it was really nice having someone to, um, like when I became unhappy in my role and I was like, well, what's the point in applying for roles? Um, Like who else would have me? Uh, So it was nice to have a mentor in that regard. I'm trying to think of something else. Uh, I think knowing how, to, like, I don't know this is like is a controversial opinion for a lot of testers, but like learning how to write test automation. Um I put it on a pedestal. So I started learning it uh at about three after three after three years or two years. Um and I remember like, oh my god, it's so hard. Uh and I'm not saying it's easy, but I really hyped it up to be more than it is. The reason I um think it would have been useful to learn earlier on is that if you know how to do it and you understand the benefits of test automation, then you know when to apply it, right? If you don't know anything about like test automation, then you'll never have the option. So it's not necessarily a case of um, just because you can, you should, but more, oh, okay, um, you're on a new project or, um, yeah, you're on a new project, should I, would this, um, would test, would this project be benefit from test automation? Um, And then more importantly, um, these days, it seems to be a very popular skill or in-demand skill. Uh, The problem with manual, I want to say manual testing, but some people don't like uh, that term. The problem with that is that there's massive misconception of that anyone can do it. And technically anyone can do it. Can they do it well? And it's not efficient. So if you're looking for a role, And you can, you can't look at the code. You're you're doing something that people believe can be done by anyone in the team or like anyone off the street. Um, Why would they hire you? You know, like what? Um, In my opinion, it's like, what do you have to offer? Some people can get roles uh, with only manual testing experience. Um, But like when I look at, when I'm on LinkedIn and I have a wee nosy, I notice that that's becoming more and more in demand. So it's like for for job security, um, I do feel that it's good to learn. Uh, So in my book, I talk a bit about like what to learn because it's like oh, I should learn just innovation right, but there's a bunch of frameworks, there's a bunch of languages. So I suggest three with three different frameworks to get you started, so you don't have analysis paralysis because you may have. I've worked with people who No, not work people. I've come across people who are like, I want to get into IT. I want to get into And they just like talk, 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 talk. Right? They don't do anything. Um, So the idea of like simplifying the decision or at least narrowing down the options. Um, So that's what I, that's, that's what I wish I got into sooner or at least kind of like took off a pedestal.
0: Yeah, and when it, when, it, when it comes to, um uh, you know, walking the walk instead of just talking the talk, uh, when you're sort of looking to switch into a career into software testing, uh, is that um, in addition to going to meetups and stuff like that, does that include things like taking courses so you can put that on your LinkedIn profile or your CV and yes. stuff like that and show that you've taken the initiative? Like you've never had a job in software testing and done test automation, but you've taken this course.
1: Yes, um, so they're one of, people I interviewed uh, Gabby Trotter, Uh, she's a recruiter and she said how appealing that is because someone's actually done something about it and they showed that they're passionate about starting their careers. Um, Another thing would be horizontal shifts. I interviewed someone who they have, uh, who has not, I won't say hired people, but people joined their test team um, through a horizontal shift uh, so they were in the support team. And I've actually been on a pr- few projects like that. Because the thing is, if you're already at a company that has software testers, um, if you're at the company, let's just assume that they, they trust you, right? So then it's a matter of learning the skills and it's like, you know, better the devil, you know, sort of thing. Um, so I would say to people, if that's an option, I think that's probably one of your, your best um, <laughs> courses of action, if possible.
0: Thanks for bringing up the interviews. Actually, that gives me uh, a good segue into the last part of the interview, where we talk about this sort of like process of writing uh, and and self publishing and stuff like that. And so, one thing you did that was really interesting was you did, I think, uh, nearly twenty interviews with people uh, for your book, mm-hmm. which is a lot of work. Um, but managing interviews and stuff can act- is actually kind of like a whole skill set unto itself yeah. when you when you're doing a research project. Um, how did you do that? Did you schedule all all? I mean, let's just say it was twenty. Did you schedule mm. them all in advance? Uh, did you record them and then do full transcripts, things like that?
1: Um, they were, uh, most of them were written interviews. Okay. So I would email them the questions and say, so if you want clarification on something. Um, and then sometimes people would go on a little bit too much. And I only wanted, say, 100 words or something. So I would edit it for, for so it was more concise and check do you feel that? How I've rephrased this still represents what you want, wanted to communicate. <laughs> um, and i, ha- I um, I'm a little bit uh, analog, so I would I have a notebook where I was writing down like for this chapter interview this person, um see if I can interview that person for another chapter. Um, yeah it was it was the massive project, but like as I said earlier on in our conversation. Uh, I know for a fact that I can't offer valuable input on everything that I wanted to cover. So I had to make sure... Oh, actually, sorry. One thing also was uh, crowdsource testing. That's another way that people can get started. Um, And I have no experience. I know what it is. I I know some companies that do it. uh, But I have no experience. So I interviewed a few people who've done that. And it wasn't necessarily a case... It's not just like land your first role, but... One, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it gives you experience, um, but it's a way to upskill. And again, you, you've taken the initiative to do something about your desire to upskill, not just like um, talked and talked.
0: Yeah, and for people for people interested in crowdsource testing, I, I recommend uh, get the book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you'll find you'll find out a lot about it. Um, and uh, it's it's a really interesting idea. Um, the uh, I guess did you how did you know when you uh, this and again this is sort of very sort of specific sort of writerly question, but how did you know when you were done?
1: Uh, I'm not actually done yet. I still have two chapters I want to write. Oh, okay. Um, but in terms of done enough to release it or like charge money for it, um, I kind of wanted, I guess, an MPP. So something that was like complete on its own. Um, and I asked for feedback from the reviewers, saying, okay, this is what I plan to cover, this is what's gonna come up next, uh, and got some good feedback on that. Um, I'm kind kind of on my mind thinking about setting a date. So um, I have the outlines of the next two chapters, um, and expanded the bullet points, but at the moment, I'm still waiting for, I don't know how to describe it, Like. Uh, this is why I like written communication. I'm waiting for <laughs> things to settle in my mind. Um, so I'm coming back to it like every second day and then expanding it and coming back to it. Um, but yeah, that's the plan. Two more chapters and then done.
0: That's uh that's really interesting. One thing, one thing, um, again, a very specific question. Um, one thing that people often do when they release a minimum viable product book is, um, and then they plan to add chapters is they'll actually sort of start out at a lower price and then kind of raise the price as time goes on Mm -hmm. and they add content. Uh, is that something you're planning on doing?
1: Um, I am planning to raise the price with new chapters. Um, I actually have done that. Um, I had a pre-sale on Gumroad, um, and then that was one price. Uh, And then I started raising it because, I kind of want to thank the people who've had faith in me, like, especially for the people who bought the free sale um, book, <clears throat> but I kind of want to thank the people who had faith in me by um, charging a lower price.
0: Thank you very much for putting it that way. The way, the way I put it was sounded quite mercenary. Um, but actually the way, the way people think about it is like, oh, I'm going to raise the price on people as I add more content, but actually the way, the way everybody who does this thinks about it is, is actually exactly the way you put it, which is, Thank you so much for buying my my book. You know, early early on is why you actually put a lower price than you think the book will will have eventually when it's complete. It's not uh, it's not it's sort of it's sort of like you you're actually lowering the price. It's not that you're raising it. is is probably a better way of, of understanding it. Um, and sort of rewarding people and thanking them for you know coming on board on your project even before it's it's finished yet and when there's still still work to be done. Um, my last question that I always ask people if they're uh, an author on Me pub, uh, if they're a guest on the podcast is if there was one feature as an author that we could build for you, or if there was one terribly annoying bug or problem that we could fix for you, is there anything you can think of that you would ask us to do?
1: Um, probably write on mobile. <clears throat> um, I discovered that you can't write on mobile. So I was copy pasting from Word docs. Um, the reason for that is uh, I'm currently on parental leave, and I've been writing the book at night after my children have fallen asleep, um, and often my uh, two months older than my arms, so I have to do it on the phone. Uh, so I guess uh, that would be, I, I would appreciate, I would have appreciated that. Uh, Docs is a bit of a
0: workaround. Oh, that's really interesting, because yeah, they, we, do, we do have the sort of write in your browser thing but I'm gathering that's probably not, not remotely optimal for anything, unless you maybe have a huge tablet or something like that.
1: Uh, yeah, cause yeah. I tried on Safari. Um, and I guess it's a bit weird to be, uh, I think I've written, uh, I, it's not just on my mobile and copy paste from Google Docs. Um, I'd be hunched over uh, my son <clears> or <throat> my laptop typing away. Um, and uh, yeah, that's uh I guess it's not the normal way to go about it, but oh. at the end of the day, I wanted to um, use the time that I had and I didn't really want to um, try and do it when my children are awake. So it's uh, all about the hunch posture.
0: Yeah, no, thank, thanks very much for sharing with that. Those kinds of details are really important for us to kind of, kind of learn about how people do. And they're not, it's, they're, they're actually really kind of hard to get people sometimes to sort of share that level of detail of, of what they're going through and how they're trying to do things. Um, writing on mobile actually is, is quite popular for, um, certain kinds of fiction, like for example, Wattpad, I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're, they're really popular where it's kind of like people just like tap out a chapter on their phone when they're on the bus or something like that for their, their, you know, serial fiction novel about, you know, vampire werewolves or whatever it is. Um, And uh, that's actually like writing on mobile actually is something that's quite popular in some circles and something that we should definitely try and accommodate better. Well, Nicola, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to be on the podcast and uh, for uh, using LeanPub as a platform for your book. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks. And as always, thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of the Front Matter podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate and review it wherever you found it. And if you'd like to be a LeanPub author yourself, please check out our website at leanpub.com. Thanks.